Hello and welcome to Life After, a podcast where young people can share and discuss their experiences with grief. If you're new, my name's Theo, and today I'm going to talk to a friend of mine called Sam, whose story is a bit different to the ones we usually feature. In October 2020, while in his final year of uni, Sam discovered a bump on his testicle. He went to get it checked out and was shocked to find it was testicular cancer. Sam's best friend Jake had died from cancer not long before, but what Sam didn't know was that he'd been misdiagnosed. He didn't find that out until months later, but nonetheless, the entire experience had a profound effect on him. I remember being sat in the room with my mum so clearly and the doctor saying, you have testicular cancer, without doubt. Uh, Mum and I both questioning it and there was no doubt. And from that moment, the next five, six months, life kind of turned on its head. Um, I'd say that it was a very interesting and formative couple of months um, in that fortunately um, past February it became more clear that it was in fact a misdiagnosis. However, um, to say that the countless amount of scans and CT scans and doctor's appointments and travelling up and down from university in my final year didn't have a toll on me would be lying. Um, although it was a misdiagnosis and they weren't sure about it, it took a lot to work back from you have cancer, especially given the fact that uh, three years prior, my best friend had died from the same illness. What were those first days like following the diagnosis? Horrible. Um, the hardest part was actually telling everybody else. Mm. Um, well, I say everybody else, those that were closest to me at the time, um, especially family, because having a twin sister and a 16-year-old brother and 18-year-old sister at the time um, you hear the word cancer and you immediately think the worst. And even though I knew that testicular cancer was very, or is very curable, around 98%, um, and I knew that I, or I was very confident that I would be absolutely fine, it was almost the worry for what other people would think, and that was the hardest part. And the first weeks of accepting it and coming to terms with, coming to terms with it were definitely the hardest. From what I learned from how uh, Jake told me his news and how Jake from when he was initially diagnosed when he was 16 till when he passed just before his 18th was the openness. Um, I told everybody it as it was and tried to keep a wide group of people updated with things. Um, I didn't beat around the bush and said this is it but you know I'm not down because ultimately I was down and I didn't want people to you know think that it was that I was completely okay um, because that was the, for me, the easiest part, part or not the easiest part, but the easiest thing was to be able to seek help from telling those people because as soon as I told them, I knew that they would be able to be that shoulder to not cry on, but be that shoulder to just lean on when things did get tough. And when, and when you did get told by Jake initially, did you, along with your friends, kind of gather together and experience that as a group or was it quite individual? So initially we were all at school and it was just our house. It was a group of about 20 boys who um, were kind of drip fed the information. And then being 16, 17, well, even now we still can't believe it, but even more so then. Um, initially it was quite individual. Um, Jake wanted us to get on with normal life, wanted to try and get on with school and stayed very positive throughout and kind of lived his life to the full. Um, he wasn't afraid of death and that made it for our group 
that bit easier. Then when it came to the point of um, Jake's downward slope where he was in a hospice um, and he was more ill, I would say that it was a very special um, collective group effort to support him but also support each other. And the bonds that formed in that time still remain so special. So my house at school did become a lot closer in that time, um, also with his family. And um, I'd say that we very much got through that together. And, mm. and at Jake's last days, we also were there in the hospice with him. Um, unfortunately, one guy was in New Zealand, but equally we made sure to FaceTime him. And it was, it was yeah, reflecting it was so, so special. And would you say the same thing happened with your direct friendship group? I'd say the same thing happened um, with regards to like people collectively coming together and being there for me. Um, but equally, there was a lot of people who would reach out to me on a personal level. Um, not to the same extent as Jake, because I wasn't in the same anywhere near in the same condition. Uh, however, I think that for example, there would be groups who would, you know, send me a gift or send me a card. And it was small details like that that doesn't, don't have to be done, but it did make me feel just so much more positive and so much more um, ready for the, for the challenge ahead, especially in the first months. Mm. Were you quite scared? It's a, difficult, it's a difficult question because scared, not scared of the outcome. I was mainly scared of how my life would change in those coming months, um, especially with regards to university, especially with regards to how I was going to basically balance that, that. Because people, you know, when I told the university, they said, have you considered dropping out? Have you considered this? Have you, and I kind of thought to myself, no, but I also don't want to. I missed my first year, or I failed my first year university um, because I missed quite a lot of it due to Jake. Mm. And that wasn't something that I was prepared to again. And I felt that um, I would feel a lot better about myself if notwithstanding the situation, I managed to get through it. And that's exactly what I fortunately have done. But I was, I was admittedly very scared about not, not graduating. Because I mean, this horrific thing happened to you and why should that then have a knock-on effect on you know, the rest of your life? It, yeah, it, de it did have a knock-on effect for four or five months. Mm. Um, I'd say until May. The university were quite understanding with regards to um, assignments being submitted late. Then it got to May and it was probably the most intense time. That was when it was actually um, emotionally like, this is what it has come to, doing all my exams, all my assignments in one month, and then realizing that that was ultimately the, p the price that I paid. Um, a much smaller price than you know chemotherapy and stuff like that but ultimately it did have a massive toll mentally mm. um, but I, I was I was afraid but not afraid of anything health related more mm. um, just life related actually and so when you would go for the scans etc what would you feel like before those um, well I actually had two scans that went wrong I wasn't exactly excited for those scans because you took the train down from Leeds, mum would pick me up at the station and I'd mainly try and go back up to Leeds on the same day just because I didn't want to mope around at home. But those scans, just the day of the scans and the day of going to visit the doctor were so draining. They took a lot out of me. They, I, I wouldn't be able to work 
if it was in the afternoon, I wouldn't do any uni work in the morning and I wouldn't do any uni work the day after. No, yeah. Simply because my mind was elsewhere. Mm. Right, it's totally yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like I was going to be doing some economics essay on the way, that, on the train down no, to the scan. Exactly. No, no. Some macroeconomic exactly. theory. Exactly, no. Not that I knew that anyway. But. <laughs> <laughs> and so moving to the misdiagnosis, how did that even come about? I mean... As you say, it's rare. Initially, it came about because there was a scan that came back and someone looked at it and was like, we're not 100% sure. Um, they then did further scans in which after about four or five weeks, they got sent up to the um, UCLH hospital in which they have like a joint staff meeting from a load of different hospitals to bring rare cases to realize what needs to be done. Mm. And they basically concluded that the best course of action was to monitor it um, every three, four months, realize, try and assess what was going on, and then uh, alter their plan accordingly. However, although they said they were pretty much sure that it wasn't, it was still a lot to work back from A, the definite words of you have cancer, and then me saying, oh, like, could it not just be a cyst or benign? And they said, no, it's cancer. And B, that was extenuated by the fact that Jake had also passed away from cancer, but also a misdiagnosis after oh, a year. So, so it was something that I didn't want to cut any corners with and take any risks. So even if it was a... Um, initially, they, they had um, what they call an orchidectomy. So they basically take out the testicle uh, booked in. They had sperm banking booked in. Unfortunately, that was after two months, basically all cancelled. But equally, if I'm being honest, I was so prepared to have that, even if it meant, even if there was a 99% chance that it wasn't cancer, having heard those words, I was so prepared to have that, mm. just to be certain that I didn't have anything. Yeah, because I mean, it changed the calculation in your mind, of course. Exactly, exactly. It was just so much to work back from, so much. Even when I... Um, got the initial cause for concern which was that bump removed it was still a lot like is this really it like like it's still there's there was that underlying angst which is now gone mm. but it was still quite a lot to kind of believe basically yeah, like, yeah quite hard to fathom what was going on do you think going back to Leeds following your diagnosis was helpful yes very helpful it just allowed me to um, get on with things. Um, well, at least try and get on with things. Mm. Uh, there were moments where I was down. There were moments where I'd be sat in my room with my housemates just being like, what is going on? Like, like how do I approach these next months? And But going back was so helpful, especially going back to my sister. Like, t obviously, you know Tess, she... She was an absolute rock in Leeds. And I'd say it would have been less helpful if Tess wasn't there. Mm. Um, but quite simply, her being there was made a massive difference. Just in terms of someone that I could vent to, someone that could try and keep me in line. Um, not to say that she did the whole time, but it was just someone, someone that was there to at least help me along the way. Since, I, since I've known you, you've always been an advocate for... Uh, male mental health, um, suicide prevention, now oddballs. 
how did your experience with Jake and, and now your own personal experience play a part in all of that? I'd say that it first started when um, Jake told me that he had cancer when we were 16. And that was just an underlying urge to want to help both Jake, but at the time his friend Jordan, uh, Jordan Lotter, who had to have a life-saving um, surgery funded for him in Germany. So we started a fundraiser called the Winter Bikini Challenge for cancer and tried to help him fund that. And then from there, um, with Jake as well, uh, raised money for Teenage Cancer Trust. And that all started from realising that we are ultimately very fortunate. Um, even if I've had these experiences, I still feel like I can give, can give back so that the next person doesn't have to have those experiences. The, the main one that I can use as an example for that was actually um, two years ago, I read about the potential future of hospices in the UK due to COVID and how a lot of them would be shut down. Um, and ultimately in a very positive way, most people haven't experienced a hospice, but it's one of those places where once you do experience it, you realize the true value of it. Mm. And um, it was just that urge to make sure that stuff like that can carry on operating and people can c continue to be su supported. And that's something with mental health, as you said. M my mental health would have struggled. Every a lot of people's mental health will have struggled. And it is a very taboo topic amongst men that any work that can be done with regards to that, with regards to cancer research, with regards to anything for me is, is so important. Mm. Um, any cause that can be advanced, any issue that can be promoted, even if it's not from a fundraising point of view, but just from an awareness point of view is so important. Did you find it more challenging to speak to your male friends about this? Not really, no. I've always been quite open. Um, you know, obviously guys can be guys and be very loud and very jokey, but when it comes to stuff like that, it's amazing how caring absolutely everybody is. And um, everyone had an absolute heart of gold and continues to have a heart of gold. Mm. And I'm so grateful for it. You mentioned your stepdad in another conversation. You mentioned your stepdad also had cancer at the same time as you. So, yes, um, there was a period in February, uh, January, February, when I uh, was undergoing my scans. And then um, in the most surreal moment, I actually kind of called my stepdad to say, who for me is... A fatherly figure um i called him to say you know great news operation booked in they're pretty certain it's um uh, benign and he was like i remember it so well he said i can't really understand you right now i've just had bad news myself and then he told me straight up that he was diagnosed with cancer skin cancer stage four and then within three months he was actually in a hospice. So there was a period where I had my operation booked in and had to reschedule that simply because I had to go visit him in the hospice. And reflecting, it was so surreal, but going back, it was the whole concept of working together in that when I was ill, he was there for me. And equally, when he found out that he was ill, I could have these conversations that I never thought I would have with my dad about, mm. about death, about um, coping with 
then there is a cancer about being able to go to scans and staying positive throughout, which added a real, really interesting light to the whole situation. And ultimately my experience with cancer only two months prior helped me a lot to deal with my stepdad's illness. And again, mad story that he's was the first person in 25 years to, to come out of that hospice alive and is now undergoing further treatment and more fit and more healthy than one could have ever imagined six months ago, mm. which I'm so grateful for. But we still have these conversations just about how, how crazy it was and how crazy it will always be, what has gone on. And it's, it's so surreal when I reflect. How important was that companionship during that period? So important. I'd say Tess, my mum and him and my dad were very much like a rock for me. But equally, I think I know that him having spoken to me, but also to my mum, was that in some way I acted as that primary support for him simply because, as we, we said earlier, having gone through it to a lesser extent meant that the conversations that we had were um, not more meaningful, but well, you've got an ha- had more weight behind them. Yeah. You know, I, I actually could say keep your head up, it will be difficult. Speaking from experience, um, this scan will be difficult, but ultimately you'll be happy you have it once you have those good results, if they came, and eventually they have come, which Mm. is, yeah, I'd say that that companionship was the most important thing for both of us. Um, The companionship brought us through, the companionship, in my case, with family, with friends, especially with him, was... Yeah, I, can't, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> but it gave you that that empathy, that that real lived experience and that, you know, I've been there. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It gave me that kind of way to be able to say to him, it's okay not to be okay, like I said to you just now. It was, it was strange because I saw quite a lot of myself, even though he was my stepdad, but I lived with him for 20 years. Mm. I saw quite a lot of myself in the way that he dealt with it. Mm. And equally, he said the same to me and that if he reflects on how I dealt with my news, he says that he sees a lot of himself in the way that I dealt with it. And that was, that was something that I'd never think that I would hear from my, from my um, stepdad or dad, let alone stepdad. So, um, yeah, it's, quite, it's very hard to put into words exactly how, how special and how, how, but also how unique it was. In my head, I've got all these kind of war metaphors like... someone who was there with you in the trenches stuff like that but i'm sure i'm sure that was valuable for both of you in in ways that as you say you can't put into words definitely so how did it feel to let go of what had been your reality for the last i don't know eight months six months i don't really know to be honest I i haven't really thought about that i don't know how it felt um, whether it was a gradual process that I haven't quite realised or a sudden process that just stopped because I had to sh- shift my... That was probably it, actually. I had to shift my focus to university. And as I said, that month in May was stressful. But ultimately, that period of stress meant that past that month in May, there were no concerns. Mm. As soon as that was out of the way, my life was back to normal, essentially. I could I could do my exam... I could wait for my results in August and I did say to my mum at the start I was like 
after all this, I'm going to have the summer of my life. <laughs> Admittedly, I did. So, 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 and I felt like I deserved it as yeah, well. So, 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 um, and that did help me get on track, just basically laughing, like just kind of getting out, being active, doing all the things that I did before. Um, probably more of the fun things I, than I did before, but just enjoying life was ultimately what helped me get back on track rather than being downbeat in my uni room trying to do some work. It just kind of all fell into place in that respect. Mm. So how has all of this altered your perspective then moving forward? It's given me more of a view of what's important um, in terms of both self-importance, but also talking to others, um, being there for others like they were there for me you do have those down days and those down days are completely fine. I find that I get less worried about uncertain things because ultimately a lot of the reason for my angst was just the uncertainty of what was going on. Mm. And being able to tackle that uncertainty has helped now with periods of doubt. Just realizing that there's certain things you can't change. Don't focus on those, focus on the things that you can change. And that's kind of what I've learned from mainly from from those two very different but also very similar experiences. Everything has changed and at the same time nothing has changed. Life has gone on and and in a very weird way I reflect quite paradoxically and I'm very grateful for the experience in that I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Um, definitely wouldn't but it has shaped me and made me a better person. It was a crossroads and it could have gone one of two ways, basically. And I've emerged stronger and more resilient from it. Um, and life does go on. Um, and as soon as I realized that, that life does go on, it made it a lot easier and therefore nothing has changed in that respect. You know, I'm, I'm still sat here with you today. We're just, ultimately two normal guys in your day-to-day -day life you know mm. you wouldn't see us in the street thinking that we're going to be filming this podcast <laughs> no perhaps not no thankfully you've come out the other side exactly come out the other side as a an advocate for charities like oddballs who highlight this issue and make sure that people get checked exactly i think the work that those charities do do is fantastic even though I was fortunately a misdiagnosis. If I can use the experiences I had to raise awareness and make it less of a taboo topic, then, then that would be great if people could listen to this and check themselves and talk about their mental health, physical health, especially males, because it's something that we don't do, then that would be absolutely fantastic. So that's it for the third episode. A huge thank you to Sam for coming on and for being so open both about Jake and his own experiences. In the next episode, I speak to my friend Meg about the death of her close friend. I hope you can join us there. I'm Theo Silverstone. The music was composed by Lucy Piercy and performed by Alexander Lestrange. The editing was done by my mum. Thanks for listening. <laughs>